decided that I wanted to have children and a family and I couldn't find anything as a senior woman in business by that point. I was head of corporate sales for a large organisation, team of 260 odd people, launching stuff, doing acquisitions. And that didn't fit with me wanting to be a mother and wanting to have my first child. So I decided to um, create create the own, my own situation for what I wanted to do. Hey guys, welcome back to the Back Self Show. This week on the show, we have Sarah Porter, who is the founder and CEO of Inspired Minds. Um, she's gonna explain what she does much better than I do, so straight over to you. So imagine it's the first time we met, which it is, um, and tell me a bit about yourself and what you do. So um, Inspired Minds was set up five years ago to accelerate progress towards the United Nations global goals using emerging technology. So as a business, we work on frameworks that establish ways to use emerging tech like artificial intelligence, AI in um, medicine, in climate change, in gender equality. And then we work uh, to bring together communities, interdisciplinary communities of people to help accelerate progress towards those goals. So that's that's a pretty much kind of broad based overview of what we do as a, as a business. Damn, Sarah, those are some lofty intros there. Like, <laughs> like working with the United Nations to do to change the world for things. Okay, I'm gonna have to dig into this a little bit to start with. Okay, so let's talk about your background. So you, you're obviously, are you a techie by background? I'm not a techie as such, I'm more of a business person. So my background is uh, mergers and acquisitions. Um, so I sat on the board of an organization doing mergers and acquisitions of large scale media companies. Um, and then I ran before that my own tech incubator, um, incubating startups and then selling them on, on behalf of founders. Okay, this is it's pretty big. Okay, so when you were, so what was, okay, so what was it that got you into that originally? So like, you know, you don't just drop into trying to start, you know, running a tech incubator. So what made you, what inspired your mind, good pun there, um, to get into, uh, into that tech space? Um, so I think as, as a person, I've always been somebody that um, is quite salesy and quite business development orientated. So I've always looked for new opportunities, how to capitalize on those opportunities. And I've always liked creating things. So I like the possibility of seeing an opportunity and then creating something from nothing. So the thing that really appealed to me firstly about getting into, I got into sales. First of all, I, got, I saw a job in um, Jobs Northwest, which was when I was seven. 17, 18 years old, which was sort of an ad salesperson, um, you know, 11 grand a year doing telesales. Um, and as a result of me getting into that role, I learned more and more about tech because that was selling tech solutions on behalf of big scale summits and exhibitions. Um, so as I learned more about it, I could see that what was really interesting to me is the, the possibility of seeing something in your mind and then creating it as a physical product. Um, and I found that absolutely fascinating. So after spending a few years, you know, earning money, earning commission, doing deals, getting- The dream. How to, how to be a decent salesperson, I guess. Um, and learning about tech in the, in the root of that, I then decided that I wanted to have children and a family and I couldn't find anything as a senior woman in business by that point. I was head of corporate sales for a large organization, team of 260 odd people, launching stuff, doing acquisitions. And that didn't fit with me wanting to be a mother and wanting to have my first child. So I decided to um, create create the own my own situation for what I wanted to do. It didn't really exist. So I left the corporate world, set up a business whereby I would employ people on freelance contracts and take market opportunities and launch them and then sell them on to, to third parties. 
Well, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty blown away by that, by the way, because first of all, as someone who had a career in sales, I'm super competitive. So the second you started talking about it, I was like, all right, so you did all right. Okay, you, you had more people working for you than me. Fine, you win. And then, um, <laughs> and then you go, you know, but then... And then you, uh, but yeah, you know, smash it. But what's super great about that? How inspiring is that? Because look, you know, um, having kids sucks for careers. Like it's a, it's a really, really shit thing. And I don't know what the solution is, but you found one and you said, look, I'm just going to take this into my own hands and just, just, just build my own thing. Is that, is that the advice you'd give to, because I mean, there are all people who listen to the show who are budding entrepreneurs and they're thinking, yeah, but I, I want to have, I want to have kids. Like I want to, I want to, you know, I don't know if this is the right time for me. Would your advice then be like, build your own career, do it your own way? Um, yes and no. I mean, I think my situation, I can only talk from my perspective, and my situation was probably quite unique because I um, found myself in a situation back then 20-odd years ago, showing my age now, where I, you couldn't necessarily set the parameters around which that you wanted to work. Whereas I think now in the current current world, there's much more opportunity for people to work from home, to have flexible hours, to create what they want to do around their their career as opposed to, and their life and their life goals. Back then, 20 odd years ago, there wasn't really as much of an opportunity to do that. You know, it was, it was quite a high pressured environment that I was working in. And I found that as a woman then in business, I was a minority. And um, mm -hmm. if I was going to be a senior level woman in business that was going to progress any further than the level that I'd got to, I really had to just go go alone and, and go it alone because I wanted to do the school run. I wanted to be around for my kids, but simultaneously I knew that I had a lot to offer still as a senior woman in business and in tech. So I guess in answer to your question, would I advise other people to do the same thing? I mean, for some people, entrepreneurial life is just not is just not for them. Um, you know, some people like this. You have to have a certain degree of. Um, um, you have to be willing to accept uncertainty if you're going to be an entrepreneur. And for some people that just doesn't work for their mindset. You know, for some people, they need to know that they're working and that they're going to get their pay at the end of the month. And that's what they need. And that stability and certainty is more important than the rewards of going it alone and, and dealing with the uncertainty. For me, the uncertainty is absolutely fine. Well, it's not, it's awful, but it's, but it's fine because I accept that as a trade-off for having the ability to work on, under my own rules. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And look, speaking from the, um, the other side of the gender, um, as a dad, you know, I think um, it's the same thing as well. Like, I, you know, it, it sucks being um, working long hours when you've got kids because you don't get to spend any time with them, right? Okay, you know, it's like, and you want to you wanna do it. So I, you know, I said to people, like, if you, do, if you do become an entrepreneur, yes, you've got to accept that you will start work at, I start at five in the morning. Yeah, but luckily my kids wake me up. And then uh, I take them to school and then you start again and then you work when they go to bed. But the point is you get that flexibility to get time with them, right? You know, so you do... You're not working less, you know, you're just working different times. Yeah, yeah. I don't get that. it's not to be confused with, I want it to be easier because I want to spend more time with my kids and an easier mm. life. It's, you know, being an entrepreneur is ultimately one of the, the biggest life sacrifices I think anybody can make. And you have to be prepared to make that and accept the fact that your life balance is, is this is not some glorified entrepreneurial dream whereby you get to then opt in and out of when you choose to work and when not. You're 100% switched on all the time as an entrepreneur. It's just yeah. that you get to have the rules to dictate as to who says that I can't have the time off to do the things that are really important to me. Correct. And my reward to myself as being an entrepreneur that does that is that, yes, okay, I have to work really hard. I take all these risks. I deal with the uncertainty, but I can still be there at the school run or the pantomimes or the things that I wanted to do when my children were younger when I couldn't have done as head of mergers and acquisitions in a big corporate.
Yeah, exactly. And you, know, you don't get to sing um, you know, the frozen, full Frozen soundtrack during a lunch hour like I do, you know, when you're, uh, <laughs> when you're working at corporate. And also I can smash that. Over yeah. joys, yeah. <laughs> I'm good. That's what happens when you have daughters. Okay, so let's fast forward. So we're going, like, so, um, I'm going to jump forward a few, a few years. Um, let's get into the AI side of things. Okay, so first of all, like, obviously robots are going to take over the world and kill everyone. But apart from that, yeah, tell me about, give me a quick rundown about the AI space and what's happening and, and why you decided to get involved. Um, so for me as a, as a market spotter, which is, is, is kind of what I class myself as, when I looked at launching Inspired Minds, I'd, came, I'd, I'd come out of quite a gnarly situation where I'd ended up losing my home, losing my, um, a lot of things that were really important to me. So I found myself in a really difficult situation where I thought, okay, to get out of this situation, I have to do something really radical. And I was told by the industry that I'd worked in that I would never work in that industry again. So I kind of had to- Damn. I had to kind of take a, a blank piece of paper and say, okay, pull, pulling on every single bit of resource that I have as a person, what, what can I do next? And I know that I understand tech and I get tech and I know emerging markets and I know how to capitalize those emerging markets. So, so for the first point of view, it was a survival choice. I looked at the markets back in 2015 is when I started researching Inspired Minds that I saw as being disruptors and things that were going to be really interesting, not just for society, but for also workplace, for tech, for startups, for investors, for everything. And AI ultimately was that market at that time that I could see was kind of ubiquitous in its effect on all of those different channels. So um, I, that's, that's one of the reasons that I went for, for that market, but also I wanted to do something as a business that would make an impact and a substantial difference to the future world of my children, but also the world around us and that's and that's not just some sort of fluffy goal for me it was very much about there's a reason why inspired minds is inspired minds and that was to take the impact of the work that we were doing and make substantial impact and inspire people that were minorities that wouldn't ordinarily be able to access those emerging tech areas so AI has the possibility to change lives in the global north for good, but it also has the possibility to leave an awful lot of people behind. And democratization of access to that emerging tech was really important to us as a business. So that's that's kind of why I chose AI. One, because of commercial opportunities surrounding it. Two, because I could see the cause for disruption. And three, because I could see that a substantial part of the world were going to be left behind as a result of its development. I get that. I mean, and look, I think that's obviously, I mean, look, it's pretty intense. But at the same time, like when you're working towards quite a lofty goal like that, I think it's, that's going to help you get out of bed every morning, right? In the current climate, marketing is hard. But do you know what isn't hard? Making sure you never miss an episode of your favourite podcast. So tap the follow button on your podcast and you'll never miss out on the latest episodes of Unicorny or Marketing Difference. You can even go back and listen to our back catalogue of amazing episodes. If you do that, Please leave us a review. It would mean so much. So we, yeah, we, we skimmed over very quickly. Like, so you've, you've had to come from reinvention twice, you know, so you, you know, when you had kids and then later on when whatever happened, you had to reinvent yourself again. So I guess in that, the, the question straight away for me there is one that a lot of founders will feel. Okay, so yeah, you were in a different area, but there is something about starting a company, the reality of it is the, the odds are stacked against you and it's probably going to go shit, yeah? And you're going to end up with losing everything uh, financially um, and having to start again. 
You've been through that and you are clearly a bit of a phoenix. So what, what advice would you give to founders who are maybe on the brink of that or just about to have that or are looking forward and thinking, what do I do if that does happen? Um, so, so fortunately for me, I mean, I haven't been in a situation where I've launched my own thing and then had to, had to start again. That hasn't had to touch wood. Sorry, I absolutely, but I absolutely misrepresented you there, didn't I, by saying that you had a failed startup. It's not true. You just changed. Yeah, sorry, my my mistake. Yeah, yeah no, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 failure is good anyway, right? Um, yeah. So yeah, no, I was in a senior role in a in a large organisation, and and as a result, fell out of that and ended up in a situation where I had nothing. I mean, and I had gone from being in a very very senior position to literally being in a situation where I had absolutely nothing at all. And so I think I'm a big believer as a result of that in post-traumatic success. So the fact that, you know, I believe, I firmly believe now that some of the most successful people that you see have been through either a major trauma or something that has made them, um, there's a really good saying actually by Tony Robbins, which is you have to burn your boats to take the island, which is if your back is against the wall and you have absolutely nowhere else to go and you have no choice, and your why is strong enough for then recovering from that, then no matter what, you will succeed. Um, and I believe that. So I believe that if you're in a situation where you've lost everything, you are probably one of the most dangerous people to compete against because come hell or high water, you'll, you'll make it a success. Um, so I would say to anybody that's thinking of starting something up, the fear of failure is never really a, a fear. It's not something to be afraid of. The fear of failure only ex a, propels you faster and faster onwards if you have the right mindset that is no matter what happens i have to succeed because i have no choice then in in my mind you will do i love that i love that <clears throat> and look i think you know we i think most people have been through uh, a time of i love that post-traumatic success that's a poster quote right there um <laughs> but like it's just a, i think a lot of people go through that hard time and i think you know it's uh, as long as you you learn from it and you build from it. And also there's nothing more dangerous than someone who is absolutely fired up and really has something they want to try and prove. And that might be proving to themselves that, they're, um, that, that, that they can do it. That might be proving a doubter wrong. Everyone who's listening to this show right now can name 10, 20 people who have doubted them. Yeah, you know, we've both been there. We've both spoken to investors which have been like, this is a shit idea. You're never going to get anywhere. Yeah, well, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, think, I think there's a two way process with that, right? Because I've sat in front of investors and was told at the very beginning, you know, your, your, your market knowledge is scant. I remember somebody saying that. I remember somebody else saying, me saying, I've, I've sold my house and I've put what, you know, all of my investment into this, my pension, a lot. And they said, I hope you don't like your house too much. And, you know, <laughs> I've had all of those types, <laughs> had all of those types of kind of scathing comments. But I think sometimes there is the feedback loop, which is genuinely useful from investors, whereby, you know, somebody will say to you, well, actually, this is, this is good, but you have you thought about doing this or whatever. So I don't think it's been so oblivious, the feedback that you just say, no, fuck you, no matter what, I'm going to succeed. Yeah. But it's having the ability to believe in yourself that, okay, you can always pivot. You can always change what you're doing or tweak your, or, or adapt. And that's one of the most powerful things that you then have is the ability to be malleable in what you're doing, but the grit and determination to succeed no matter what. And I think that's the, that's, that's the key, I think. I love that. I love that. <clears throat> So moving on to success, you have, you are smashing it at the moment. I'm, I'm a big fan. Um, Thank you. But one thing that you, you are incredibly gifted at, which I love to talk about, something I really care about, is growing community, okay? You have a community of 
200,000 people. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. How do you? 94,000 people. Yeah. So 194,000 people, which is no small number. Okay. That is the total population of the Isle of Wight where I grew up. Okay. So, um, and so if you, if you, so you have that community now, Building a community, people always say, build your community first. You know, we had a guest on the show recently who said the same thing, and that was their best advice. Um, but it doesn't just happen overnight. So what's your advice? Like, how did you go from you on your own to having 194,000 people following you? Um, multitudes of different things. No, no one particular thing which has been really successful, but um, I know we haven't got hours on end to talk about it, so I'll try and summarise. So I guess... Um, the aim, the aim of our community was to build an interdisciplinary community of people that together could use emerging technology in a positive way for all facets of, of the world. So be that society, be it big corporate tech companies, be it academics, be it startups and investors and so on and so forth. The way that we did that initially was by building world-class content in the biggest AI tech summits. Um, because by doing that, we, we created something that was a mutual why and a mutual why for each parts of that ecosystem. Because within the summit, there would be different things that would trigger people to want to attend because it was important to them for whatever their personal goals were. Um, so I think, so, and that probably sounds like a lot of um, fluff, but what it really meant is if you're going to motivate people to join a community, they ha you have to treat them as individuals within that community. And you have to build personas around each of those individuals and then what and how the ecosystem works in a reciprocal way between those individuals. Because reciprocal ecosystems are the only ones, in my opinion, that really work, where community members join, they get something back by connecting with those other people that you created. So that was the kind of aim of what we set out to do. So, And then in practice, how do you do that? Um, firstly, it's just by creating things that are common goals versus individual goals. So things that would appeal to people as a common good versus individual. Um, and then social proofing our way through it, which was proving that, you know, actually this person is here. So we've got Jan LeCun or we've got um, Joel Pinal from Facebook AI, whoever who's speaking, but they're going to be attending here. And then we use that as a way to show that these people are here and join them and grow. And that then catapulted and snowballed into the community that we've grown. The, the, the main aim of our community has always been to be built by the community. So everybody that is within the Inspire community has a role to play. And we define that role at the start of them joining us. And then they see that they have a part to play in doing that. So they have an invested why. That, that makes sense. Yeah, I like that. I think that that mutual why is really fascinating, isn't it? And I think it comes down to that, you know, you're, you're, and you're also you're providing value to your, to your community all the time. That's the thing, isn't it? And that's how you grow it and you attract people. Yeah. Receiving so, ecosystems, exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so, and how did it grow? So how did you go from being like, yeah, because obviously you know, you're providing value to these people. Is it grow, has it grown organically? Has it they've referred and they've brought other people on? Or have you been, you know, have you been going out to new communities and then bringing those people in as well? Like how, how have you how made that happen? Because practically, like that's something that people listen like, I can create great content, but how do I make sure someone's listening? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, we, we set out with very lofty goals originally, which is as we started with, with the United Nations global goals, because emerging technology can ultimately do good. And, and I think there's a lot in the press at the moment about how you pointed out robots are going to take over the world or whatever, but actually there's an awful lot of things that 
AI can do, which we can substantially accentuate, um, accelerate uh, AI for good. So we set out originally to say, okay, if these are the goals that we're all aiming for, AI and medicine, for example, and you're a clinician, clinicians are one of the hardest groups to market AI to because they, they, they're very negative about artificial intelligence as a whole. So mm -hmm. we partnered them up with people within the rest of our ecosystem who could share um, stories with them about how AI could work as a, as a, with a positive potential outcome. Um, and then what we started to see happen is that people would connect as a result of being in our community, learn about AI for good, and then feel that they had something positive to return for for the next time. And our repeat bookings then kind of snowballed year on year. And we found that word of mouth, we've only ever spent £38,000 on direct marketing. Um, yeah, which is crazy. The rest has been done through social media and community building and word of mouth, which is crazy. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. I um, I have a little bit of experience from this. I um, I previously have started a, uh, a financial crime AI business, and um, it's mad because when you go and speak to financial crime investigators at banks, and they know they're listening, they know who I'm talking about. Yeah, and he's like, yeah, we're going to use it. They're like, absolutely not, bro. There's no way you can't you can't get this in my head to catch those people. <laughs> and then what you do is you like you say, all right, I'll have a go, and then you do it, and you use that and you use the technology, and they're like. Ah, oh, shit. This is good. Yeah, now, you, yeah, people, this is the thing I say to people about AI. Like, AI isn't going to replace humans, okay? It's replaced some things that they do, yeah, but it's the combination of um, human intelligence and artificial intelligence that makes the best results, is my view. I might be wrong, but that's what I think, yeah? Yeah. Okay, so, okay. So, look, we, um, these are short episodes, so I want to get into some cool stuff. Right, so, look, you are incredibly successful at sales. Okay, you did lots of big merger acquisitions. You, you made an absolutely astonishing business. You're incredibly resilient. I'm actually a little bit inspired by you, I'll be honest. And um, you, um, what is your one piece of advice that you would give to every founder? You meet any founder, you say, look, here is my Sarah Porter one piece of advice. I think it's, it, I'm a big fan of the Stoics. Um, and I'm a big fan of using Stoic philosophy as a way to power yourself through the early stage of a, a startup. Um, and as a philosophy major you're getting me excited <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh there you go uh so i do believe that you have to you have to reposition the the situation that you're in as you manage your view of the world and you manage your view of the world which is okay here's what i can change here's what i cannot change here are the things that are completely and utterly within my power and here are the things that are not once you establish that and you realize that it, no matter what comes at you, if you've got, you've got the grit to overcome it, then you can sidestep any potential obstacle and you can choose how you choose to react to the ones that you can't change. Um, and I think for, for founders, you're going to come up against obstacles, roadblocks, issues that could seem at that moment like they're completely and utterly impossible to overcome. But if you change your mindset to look at it from a way that is, okay, this is here to teach me something. And actually, it's not an obstacle that isn't overcomeable. I just need to find a way to navigate it. Um, and for me, that was one of the biggest, most defining moments of being a startup entrepreneur is when I realized that nothing was going to stop me and nothing was actually going to prevent me from getting to my goal of what I was going to do, which is, you know, I'm going to exit for X amount of millions in, in a, uh, 11 months time now, whatever it may be. But once you've set your goal and you know that's what you're going to do, you will continually find ways to overcome anything that's in your path by changing your mindset and reframing the situation that you're in accordingly. And Stoic philosophy has a really uh, cool way of allowing you to do that once you've studied it. 
I love that, I love that, and that's absolutely true. Stoicism's bang on, what a great piece of advice. So your advice, read some Stoic philosophy. Don't go with no. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, some of it's a bit heavy, but yeah, go for it. Um, yeah, or if you want a light summary of it, there's things like um, The Daily Stoic, which is quite useful. There's uh, Robert Greene, you know, a lot of what he writes yes. is ultimately, yeah. You know, people are, people massively miss. We actually interviewed Robert Green not so long ago, and people massively misinterpret the Forty Laws of Power and, and the uh, Mastery and all those books that he's written. But ultimately, what they're trying to do is illustrate the very worst of human behaviour, so that you can understand it better and arm yourself with a way to to deal with that. Um, Ryan Holiday wrote The Obstacle Is the Way. That's another book which is, you know, I would say is a founder's bible if you want to use something that's going to give you really good overview of stoic philosophy and how to use that in an, on, in an entrepreneurial way i'll put both links in the show i haven't read the second one but i'll put both links in um nice yeah obstacle of the way is an amazing book for, for entrepreneurs yeah that's really it's really good okay fine okay um last one founders are the most productive people on the planet they are and the more productive you are typically the more successful you're going to be um you have three kids you are running a globally successful business you are obviously unbelievably productive what is your productivity hack that uh, you would give to people to help them be more productive um so i would say to break things down into navy seal style chunks um because i think as a founder quite often you get to this point where you one you have paralysis of fear which is you know you just you can't move yourself forward because everything seems so huge to to, to, to overcome um, and then also the number of tasks that you're doing as a founder. Founders have to be jack of all trades to a certain degree. And at sometimes it just becomes overwhelming the number of tasks that you have to do. So the way that I overcome that is literally by breaking things down into the minutiae and be that, okay, what can I achieve in 10 minutes? And if that's all I achieve today, what will that thing be to start me off? And, and if I only manage to achieve that, what could it possibly be? And for me, it can be something as small as reach out to somebody from XYZ company that I wanted to speak to for a long time and send that email and, and send that email to them. And once you start breaking down into bite-sized pieces, you start to gain momentum. Um, so I think, you know, it's very easy as an entrepreneur to get overwhelmed by the tasks that are in front of you, but you break them into small chunks. It makes it really, really achievable. I think that's a great piece of advice. Thank you so much. Sarah, you've been absolutely incredible. I am I'm blown away. Thank you so much. Um, you slipped in there that you're aiming for an exit in about 11 months' time. So uh, I wish you the best of luck. I look forward to seeing that in the paper. Um, with your MA background, I imagine it's going to be sensational. And look, uh, thanks so much for doing me the honor of coming on the show. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having thanks. me.